Financial services have their own unique testing and development challenges, but they also have lots of the same challenges as many other software development projects. Eric Bergman from Paragon joins me in discussing things like testing, DevOps, continuous integration, and lots of other great testing and development topics. Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. Today on Testing Code, I am thrilled to have Eric Bergman. And you're from um, Paragon, right? Paragon Application Systems? Yep. And we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, but mostly focused around testing and financial services. Does that yeah. sound good? Sure. Cool. Well, before we get into it too much, tell me who you are. Yeah, so I'm... Eric Bergman, I'm the director of product development at Paragon. We have uh, four development teams right now. We just kind of help to make sure we're going down the right path and, and just lead the teams, improving how we do things every day and, and making sure we develop with the right practices and put out some awesome software for our customers. You know, we And Paragon specifically, we, we develop software f- for the financial industry. So we test pretty much every endpoint in a transaction flow. You know, you could take the point of sale device, through the acquirer, through the network, to the issuer, all endpoints in a financial transaction, they need to be tested and they need to be able to test to make sure they can communicate to the other endpoints in the, in the transaction. So we can simulate any of those endpoints. And so they can use us to, to be the other guy to talk to. And it's, it's important for kind of your final testing, acceptance testing, to be able to talk to that other endpoint and see that uh, your live app is working the way that you intended it to. Uh, we also have a testing in other areas, in ATMs and things like that. But that's what I work at Paragon. And Okay. Um, a lot of people in the, I guess, depends on what, what space you're in. But when you say endpoint, so like a web endpoint is often going to be like a REST API or something. I'm guessing financial transactions are not REST APIs or something else, or are they? Well, some are, but most are not. Most use a standard called ISO 8583. Okay. It's a, it's a simple ISO standard keep having changes to those standards and they all have their own flavor of them too. And so that, you know, our, our tools adhere to, to that standard and send according to whatever spec version they've got, you know, all of the networks have different flavors of that spec and, and but they're also restful. And uh, with some of the online transactions, you've got uh, this 3d secure standard where you have uh, that pop up. You'll see sometimes where you have to log in to use your Visa card or Max Mastercard or Amex card, yeah. where you have to log in to use it after an online transaction. That's actually going all the way to the issuer, and they're the ones that are populating that form for you to log in and and verify online. Those are using RESTful and a lot of web traffic there, but you also have obviously the, the standard ISO eighty five eighty three transactions as well. So there's some new technologies entering the space that that helps it, but by and large, a lot of the hosts are set up to use that that older standard. Okay. Well, so one of the things we were going to touch on is um, kind of the state of testing. So I'm of uh, especially in the um, financial services, but I'm imagining like that things have actually, I don't know how long you've been in this space, but I yeah. imagine things have changed quite a bit in the last 10 years even. Or have, have they not? <laughs> in some ways you could say they have, and in some ways you could say they haven't. 10 years ago, smart cards were still being that was a big thing. You know, smart cars were coming along all over the rest of the world, not outside of the United States, really, but eventually caught up a little bit later. Well, eventually we caught up. But the, um, 
<laughs> so that that was you know some of the new technologies was just the smart cards. You know the the testing practices. You know those ISO 8583 messages. They've essentially just incorporated smart card technologies, newer encryption standards, new features here and there. But by and large, a lot of those networks are still sending those same with those same standards. And like I mentioned, I mentioned 3D Secure and some of those others, but most of that trans- core transaction flow is close to the same. And, and when it comes to the testing, there have been efforts to go into a more agile, test-driven development sort of methodology in their testing. But it's hard to get those processes to change in a lot of these institutions. They still have those over-the-wall QA teams, you know, where they do their updates. A lot of these hosts are with their applications installed that drive most of it. And so they're really configuring those applications and putting in code here and there to get it to run the way they want it to. It's it's hard to get TDD going in that development because you're working with an existing application. But then it's also, it's hard to change the processes and how that over-the-wall step where they're doing these manual tests are are done while the development is happening. Okay, so like, is Paragon one of those over-the-wall places or are you doing the QA for other companies or are you doing... Are you providing tools for an in-house team to be able to validate their systems? We're providing tools for the in-house teams to be able to, to test their own systems. And that and, and then some. So you could say, okay, so I mentioned the development practices, right? But a lot of institutions, you know, even if they, they have their own internal testing practices, they still need to certify with a network. So if they're trying to certify, there's a whole testing process that happens there. So if they need to go through one of the big card networks, they need to be certified to go through it and have transactions flow. So that certification process, they might use a tool like ours to certify, do a pre-certification with. That's very common. And so they will test with our app instead of going to a real system. They would log into our app, test with ours. Once they've gone through the full pre-cert flow, then they might transition to a, a certification step where they still would actually have people manually checking everything, looking at Excel spreadsheets or, you know, looking at comparing fields and whatnot just to verify that everything lines up right. But you would still have our app involved in not just the development flow, but in a certification flow as well. So Okay. Thank you, ConfigCat, for sponsoring this episode. ConfigCat is a feature flag service. It has a central dashboard where you can toggle your feature flags visually. You can hide or expose features on your application without redeploying. You can set target rules to allow you to control who has access to new features. Easily use flags in your code with ConfigCat libraries for Python and nine other platforms. Get builds out faster, test in production, and do easy rollbacks. Release new features with less risk and release more often. With ConfigCat's simple API and clear documentation, you'll have your initial proof of concept up and running in minutes. Train new team members in minutes also, and you don't have to pay extra for team size. With the simple UI, even product managers can use it effectively. Whether you are an individual or a team, you can try it out with their forever free plan. Or get 35% off any paid plan with special code test and code, all one word. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. Check them out today at ConfigCat.com. You said there's a lot of momentum behind uh, the legacy systems and the way people do things. So uh, would you like to see it change? Absolutely. I mean, we've been working for a while on, on getting continuous integration system going and getting them to adopt that. It's 
you know, we have an API open and it's it's been getting use. Sometimes it's used in more of a poke and prod sort of manner where they find tests, they want to be able to tweak it. They have a tool that integrates with the API and then they poke and prod using the test scripts that they've already written, doing some minor tweaks here and there to see how the system responds. That's not really what we want to go to long-term. What we ideally have is those tests are living, breathing tests that are running every change continuously so that they author the test once and then they're done with it. They don't have to kind of poke and prod the system. And so we've had some adopt that way. We really have kind of three different customer users that are you know going with our product. We've got the certification model, we've got the poke and prod model, and then we've got the automated the API testing model. And we have to really be able to facilitate all three, depending upon the type of user, the direction that the, the company is going. How about in-house yourself, uh, since you've got you oh, yeah. developed this yeah. software yourself, right? So Yeah. So, I mean, back in, I don't know, it was probably 2006, we started writing code on this. We had a desktop app that we would install, and it was written in COM, like Windows COM. Oh, okay. We were using... We started writing a web app that used some of those components, and we got it all test-driven and eventually pulled it out into its own its own web server and everything. But uh, we were doing TDD from the get-go with that, and we started Agile probably a little bit after that. In 2007, we had go with Agile and continuous integration. We started doing cruise control and <laughs> way back early with ThoughtWorks and all that stuff. And we've progressed now. We've got um, hundreds of thousands of tests that run every commit. And, decent coverage. Yeah. I guess it depends on who you talk to, but um, it's worked for us. You know, there's always this sort of um, opposition by some to to do test-driven development because they think it's going to take longer, you know, and it's because they don't see on the back end how when you've designed an application to be testable, how it actually uh, speeds you up eventually. You know, it's kind of like a train. You get that train going, it keeps moving. It's hard to stop it once it keeps going. You've got all the test coverage it makes it so that your application is is flexible, malleable, and, and changeable, and and you can do it confidently. And there was a lot of uh, minds to change on it back in you know a long time ago, but now it's it's pretty well adopted and pretty well understood through most of the software industry to take that test driven approach to to software. Yeah, one of the things I I mean you you mentioned starting it out in uh, 2006, and that seems I mean for a lot of people that seems like ancient like so long ago. But there's yeah. um, there's still a lot of applications that are in use right now that predate that, and um, yeah. going or different teams that wanted to go towards a more Scrum like or a TDD style or something, and incorporating tests from the beginning. There's there's not a lot to be honest. I don't think there's a lot of really good information on how to how to adopt that midstream, like how to maintain sure. and keep going with a a legacy system and gradually incorporate that stuff. I've had questions like that, even from some of our customers, like, how do we do this? They're like, some had this perspective that we just need to just write tests. We just need to get good coverage, just go full hog, just cover the whole thing, you know, with tests. And, you know, that can work. The most important thing, priority number one for me is that all new development is covered. And if you've got that practice of making sure all new development is covered, you're going to be good over the long term. And they want to be adventurous and cover more code. You know, I would always tell people, um, well, you know, that's fine. Probably the better approach would be to expand out. You know, if you're changing one region of code, um, try and expand out to the regions using it and just build from there. But if you 
just work only on coverage, you're, you're not delivering customer value, right? You're delivering, you're paying back debt, you could say, right? You're paying back your own debt on your testability of your application, but you know, you're not delivering customer value. So the, the ideal way to do it is to deliver customer value while making sure everything, every change you make is proven sound and tested and covered. Well, yeah, the, the big payback I see in uh, automated tests for development is to be able to use it during development. Sure. And so adding tests to legacy parts of the system, there are different, different reasons to do that in at different levels, but the, you're not going to get the same. It's mostly a cost sure. an expense. Yeah. And uh, I like the, uh, the idea of uh, targeting new development for coverage. There's also and different approaches too. Like for instance, um, with development, one of the gauges for a good test is uh, whether or not you can change shooting for agility. So I want to be able to change my mind on implementation sometimes. And if my tests don't allow changes, then they're kind of uh, they're mostly just scaffolding, trying to make sure that I don't change anything. Sure. And um, those are hard to measure if you're actually putting tests around code that hasn't changed in years. It'll be painful when you go try to change that code and like 97 tests fail or something like that. But Yeah, you can get into some smells even with testing, you know. You figure out the designs of tests that really that limit you versus enable you, you know. Yeah, um, also I was ch- chuckling. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that you have like a lot of tests. A lot of tests is a good thing. However, yeah. I, I've never heard anybody brag about the number of lines of code in their implementation. Sure. But they'll uh, will <laughs> sometimes mention how many tests they have. Sort of an yeah. amusing uh, dichotomy. A larger number of our tests are actually on the data that we deliver. It's interesting that we, we deliver test data, right? So we have a platform that provide. It's a testing platform that they can author their own tests. But a lot of cases, we deliver those tests to our customers. And so we're delivering a lot of data, right? So we, we, we have teams developing software, but we also have teams developing test cases for our software. Yeah. So we have tests around those test cases. And so a lot of the the tests are actually on those test cases to make sure they perform the way that we want them to. So if someone changes some of the core logic somewhere, it could break those test cases and we want to know what it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Some of these questions, uh, when you're talking about data and testing the data, it reminds me some of the discussions around uh, testing in uh, data science mm-hmm. are probably a lot or have a lot of similarities to the financial area. So sure. except for with finances, you definitely know, you definitely know when you got it wrong, or at least there's a right sure. and wrong. Yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, that we're not doing a lot of machine learning on ATM transactions. Probably not. There's machine learning on the fraud space. Oh yeah. Um, there's a lot. Of, you know, so they have uh, systems that they plug into their hosts that, that, you know, can learn, Oh, this is probably a fraudulent transaction. And they trigger it and go from there. And there's machine learning more on the marketing side. One of the things that I've been learning more and more, I've never really quite understood the the term DevOps. And in the uh, the email that got sent over about things that you know about, it included yeah. um, some discussion of DevOps. And I've I'm just uh, really kind of learning about it more. How does DevOps play into what you're doing? Is it more your product or with this, or is it something that you help customers yeah. with? Well, it's kind of both, right? I mean, you know, continuous integration, continuous testing, it's, that's part of DevOps and it's part of the agile test-driven development process too. And so um, you can say they're, it's all part of the same 
it's for both. But uh, DevOps is a simple way to put it is development for the operations of the company, right? And usually it's for a software company. There's a really good book if you want to read it called The Phoenix Project is what it is. The Phoenix Project is the one I'm thinking of. It was a pretty good book on, you know, just treating, seeing your company as this factory, right? And you've got all these these steps that happen in, in the sales flow and the whole process of your company and how it operates and um, optimizing that, right? Doing whatever you can to optimize those steps to make it run smoothly and better. And for us at Paragon, you know, we've we've been doing, well, I should say a lot of companies, honestly, software companies have been doing things to optimize even before there was this term DevOps, you know, whether it's optimizing the sales pipeline, the way the you get the customer information and you feed that into getting an, let's say your software as a service system, you know, and they log into the site and they create an account and they, they want a new site and you spin up something, some container for them, right? And they have their own workspace. That is all, you know, development driven operations, really. The sales, the everything is all development driven. And so you could say that was, uh, you know, deployed through technological means. And so you, you take that and you compare it to some of the old-fashioned companies that might have done a lot of that stuff by hand, taking more of a hands-on approach with people being involved, haven't optimized their, their processes. So DevOps is, is really taking all of those processes that your company does and trying to optimize it. That's how many see it. It's interesting you would bring that up. I just finished listening to the Phoenix Project because I saw the Unicorn Project come out and I hadn't I hadn't read or listened to the Phoenix Project yet, yeah. so just finished that. When I started, I mean, I was listening to it just as a because I do the podcast because I work sure. in different spaces. I want to understand what other people are having to deal with, and I also never really kind of got what DevOps was or or what that word meant. But that, yeah, the Phoenix Project was amazing, and I realized that I think a lot of what I I've been doing for the last. 20 years is trying to incorporate a lot of that same information sure. into software. I never really associated with DevOps. My my introduction to it was uh, through like Lean and Six Sigma yeah. and things like that. And these are other ways that people have taken like manufacturing processes and the improvements there and tried to apply it to software. I don't know, two thirds of the way through the book, I'm realizing, oh, yeah, we have a whole bunch of stuff that we could do better. If we think about a lot of these these same optimizations, not only optimizations, but also just parts of the the process that are manual that have that mistakes could happen, or uh, where we have unnecessary queues for people waiting on things that mm-hmm. we could just automate it so people don't have to wait, things like that. And sometimes it's hard to just, just diagnose it, right? Sometimes you need to put in operations and and updates to just figure out where your bottlenecks are. Sometimes you don't know, and you need ways to to analyze it and know, you know, you're, you're trying to make a decision to improve how you're doing things, but sometimes you, you can't measure it yet. Yeah. One of the interesting bit, bits I think is um, that when lean and DevOps and maybe DevOps was a little later to the game, but when lean came through, it was mostly big corporations trying to push this sort of stuff and try to, mm-hmm. and for like, you know, even uh, I remember with uh, the early six Sigma training, talking about thinking about the dollar value of uh, it's not worth doing an optimization if it's a, if it's not worth like, you know, a million dollars or you have to figure that out. Well, that's where lean comes in. You got to be able to measure it, right? Yeah. Well, there's the measurement part. But to me, I was like, man, I can apply this to the small scale and even at the team scale. And if there's something I'm doing that is 
like actually there's quite a few manuals procedures in software even uh, in producing software and publishing and all sorts of stuff that starting to pay attention to how many manual procedures really okay. exist and how many of them um like i was trying to just there's still a lot of manual procedures even just with uh, publishing in a, a piece of open source code because you gotta sure. you know update the version and you gotta test everything you gotta you know, publish it to certain places and make sure your documents are up to date. And if you're doing it right, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. And a lot of it is automated, but it's still, you still manually kick off these automated procedures. And uh, coordinating all that stuff is a fascinating decision just to, just to sort of have that mindset of always thinking about it, always thinking about the processes, because I don't think anybody's ever going to get done. We're never going to get done to the point where we're like, oh, wait, it's so smooth. We barely, we just have to think and type stuff and then it happens. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess that would be a machine learning at that point, right? You just get AI going and yeah. write your code. What are the, the big challenges that you see around, um, so you trying to change or, you know, trying to encourage some of your customers to take on a more iterative model. Yeah. Is that separate? Is it a big change? Is the roadblock the separation of QA and development or is it something bigger? Oh. It's it's hard. I mean, there there's some of its uh, the technologies that they use. It's hard to um, get the test driven development going. They wouldn't necessarily. I mean, if they're writing code in COBOL or TAL, <laughs> they wouldn't be they wouldn't be using our app to test build the unit tests or anything. But it, sometimes it's hard to build that framework around what they're working with because they are working with systems that are still you're still developing in, the, in that. Or you get some of the hosts now developed in C plus plus and with Java. By and large, you know, those frameworks to do TDD on their new development isn't there. Then when we have automated testing going with the live transactions, yeah, it's just hard. You know, they've you have so many so many stakeholders who you know, kind of worry, well, there's still going to be a manual step at the end of it, right? I mean, even our certification side, which has a lot of tools at play, right? Like I mentioned that they use, we handle automate the the host endpoint for a lot of the certification, pre-certification tests, they still do the manual certification at the end of it. It's just giving people that confidence that you can do it, you know, that you can actually automate those things. And they're doing it with rocket science. I mean, you know, the rockets, you know, every, all of those tests that they do before rocket launch, I mean, those are all automated. You can't have, it's like, I guess they're forced to, right? Because it's, it's physically impossible to go in there and test every single device on that rocket before it launches. Because it's physically impossible, you have to automate it. Well, it, you should really see it as if it's impossible to fully test your host. Yeah. You have to automate it at all. You have to. I'm surprised there's any manual procedures left. That's just a like a spot check at best. That's actually... It <laughs> doesn't give me a lot of confidence in the financial system, actually, if I think that they're all relying on manual procedures. Yeah. If things go bad, they have a clearing and and settlement whole step there too to to resolve things, to to handle financial disputes and correct any issues there. And we we have software to test for that too, so that could go wrong too (laughs) if they manually test that. (laughs) But um yeah. Yeah, it was reminds me of the um the Calvin and Hobbes joke of uh do you ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Some not much. A uh, kid asks his dad how they how they get the uh, the weight limit on bridges, and the dad says, "Well, we just uh, we just drive. Somebody will they'll build the bridge, and they drive heavier and heavier trucks over the bridge, and then 
when the bridge collapses, they weigh the truck and rebuild the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And fortunately, sometimes that's how we test software. Well, thankfully, we can kind of do that with software, right? We could break the app, at least with performance testing, right? You can break it and then, then not put that load on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Do the load. And that's actually part of the software testing that, I mean, just getting, it's hard enough to get everybody to get the uh, the functional bit down, to have good behavior coverage and uh, all of the endpoints, making sure that you're getting all the error, error cases tested. Yeah. And then you also need to think about security and you've got security testing, you've got uh, load testing and uh, timing considerations to make sure, I mean, just to make sure the... Uh, this is a lot of things I don't I don't see very often is people saying, okay, well this this part of the system still works, but it happened to have slowed down by twenty percent. Yeah, we should probably catch that. Maybe that's not okay. Things like that. So yeah. it's interesting. You have people that have had enough experience to help make sure we're not going down the wrong path is important, but it's also very important to have people that have developed the right skill set in development. So you need to make sure you have all. All of it, right? Yeah. Some of the employees at Paragon that have probably the most industry knowledge didn't start, didn't come from an organization that, that was already in the financial industry. They just started here as a developer and they learned it. And some came from other companies. It, it's really on an individual basis. I try not to have a fixed mindset when it comes to people's capabilities and what they can do. And you know, if they come in they're smart, they're capable. I want them to see themselves as having no limits and I really want them to be multifaceted in, in how they do things. And so I usually get offended when people put limitations on developers and say that they can't test. <laughs> it's like I, part of me just wants to really be defensive of that just because some of the best testers I know are developers. And it really comes down to the, their quality as a developer, right? How, if you're a good developer, I'm sorry, you're a good tester too. You know, if you aren't yeah. if you aren't a good tester as a developer, you're not a good developer. And there's a lot of things to learn as a developer and the subject matter for your industry and, and all those things. You know, you gotta train them up and hopefully you've hired a capable employee who can learn all that. Yeah, it's it's amusing to me when I hear people saying that um the software developer isn't trained in testing. Well, I don't know where somebody would get that training. I don't know where it is of learning how to, unless it's developing software with tests yourself, because, um, I mean, it's not like people go off to college to learn how to be a software tester. I I don't know if there's like, if there's programs around that, I haven't seen any. Some of it has to do with this, the black box perspective, right? So if you built it yourself, then you're not going to test it as well because you're not critical of your own things, right? Whereas this person who didn't, is going to think outside the box that you've confined yourself to, and they're going to test with things that that you haven't thought of. But I would say that a developer has access to a lot of things to test with. And so if I was to want to hack a system and break it, it certainly would help me to know the code to break it. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, even, okay, a good example, right? So a lot of companies go to, they hire out third party to help with security penetration testing, right? Yeah. And they will have you send you their code. And because it helps them do penetration testing, they want to find those vulnerabilities. They want to look at your code because it helps them break it. That being said, it doesn't mean that you have to be a developer to be a good tester. You know, there's testing is, there are a lot of facets to testing, right? I guess, but I don't know how you develop an automated test without writing software. Well, have you seen the behavior-driven development? 
sort of yeah. concepts. Yeah, of course. But I've never seen – I still think of those people as writing software. They're writing – You can say that. They wouldn't call them developers. But, like, yeah. Yeah, they're making software. They're making the system test itself, right? So, I mean – Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, do you use Cucumber and stuff in your uh, – Yeah, we have um, – well, we, we use um, something called SpecFlow okay. that drives uh, a Gherkin-type uh, syntax that, that, that tests our, our test cases. And that's a large majority of our tests, and then we have we have some that hit our our service. There's a backend API that it'll hit, and we even have some Gherkin expressions that hit the view and drive Selenium. So instead of coding out the Selenium or doing record stuff, we just type it out as Gherkin Cucumber type expressions, and it tests the front end view as well. Okay, that's neat. I've actually originally was surprised that people were getting a lot of use out of that, but there's a lot of different use models. So that's good. Yeah. Anyway, neat. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on and taking the time to talk with yeah, me today. No problem. Thank you, Eric, for talking with us today. Also, thank you to Patreon supporters for sponsoring the show. Join them by going to testandcode.com slash support. And thank you, ConfigCat, for sponsoring this episode. The link to their cool feature flag service, as well as the discount code, is on, on our show notes at testingcode.com slash 109. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>